Well, good morning, church. If you would, turn in your Bibles to uh, John chapter 8. We are going to be looking at verses 48 through 53. We're not going to quite reach the, the end of, of John chapter 8, but I just wanted to say that, that John chapter 8 is probably one of my uh, favorite chapters, if you can say that, in the Bible. I mean, there's so, uh, so many clear things that Jesus says and done, uh, does that are so in- encouraging to us to, to love Him and to, to honor Him and, and to put our hope in, and trust in Him. So my hope and my prayer is that as we go through this passage today that the Lord would speak to us this morning. And I just want to give a, a brief uh, mention up front that there are three points. First, there is the slander of Christ's character. Secondly, there is the certainty of Christ's salvation. And we're going to spend most of our time on those two points. And then we're going to touch briefly on the third point, the question of Christ's superiority, as uh, we will look at most of that, or really the answer to that next week. So let's go ahead and read John chapter 8, verse 48 through 53. This is the Word of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we have sang about your son. We have saying about his goodness and his, his graciousness to us. Lord, he is a wonderful, wonderful Savior. Yet we read in these, these passages in, in John chapter 8 that there are many who, who hated him, who wanted to put him to death, who rejected him as their Messiah. And we know that even today as as we go through, through our lives, Lord, that we run into people who also hate Him. Lord, we know that they may not say that, but we know they do by the way they, they treat Him and the way they treat His people. God, it's, a, it's my prayer that, that as we study these verses, that we would love Your Son more, or that we would understand who He is, that what He's done, and, and in Him have life in His name. Lord, we love You and we thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in James chapter 1, verse 20, James says this. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When we read these verses, these interactions with with Jesus and the the Jews, we see that, that they are not acting in a way that is honoring of God. 
They're acting out in anger. We are coming to the close of chapter 8, and ever since the beginning of chapter 7, we have been seeing this interaction between the Jews and Jesus. And what we see is this climax, and there's this, this heating up to the point where well, next week we will see that they actually attempt to stone and kill Jesus for what he says. And we know that this is during the, the Feast of Tabernacles, and it's probably just about six months before they will actually crucify him, and, and he will raise from the dead. And if you've been following along in, with our studies or you've read this passage, one of the things you'll see is that Jesus makes many, many claims about himself. In John chapter 7, verse 37 through 38, he says, Jesus, it says, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Back in chapter 8, verse 12, he says this, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Or in verse 23, he says, you are from below, and I am, am from above. And that, that's an amazing statement that, that Jesus is claiming that, that he has come down from heaven. He says, you are of this world. I am, I am not of this world. Again, so these are just amazing claims that, that Jesus is making, and, and it's hard for these people to accept it. And then in verse 28, he says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, a, a reference to him being lifted up on a cross and being crucified, he says, then you will know that, that I am he, or literally I am, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Again, that is a, an amazing statement. None of us, nobody in the history of the world can ever make that claim except Christ. For I always do the things that are, that are pleasing to him. And then in verse 42, he tells the Jews, the Jew, Jewish religious leaders, he says, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here and I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. And these are amazing claims, but there's another thing that Jesus does is, is he, he confronts them and he corrects them, and they, they don't like it. And it comes to a head in verse 43 and 44, it says, in verse 43, why do you, why do you not understand what I say? And then he answers their, that question, he says, it is because you cannot bear to hear my word. I just I was thinking about it. You can't bear to hear what Jesus is saying. It's like Jesus' words are like nails on a chalkboard, and they just can't handle it. And it's like they have to just cover their ears. I, I don't want to hear what you have to say about yourself, Jesus. You, you cannot bear to hear my word. And then he says this, and this is the, the heaviest rebuke that he's given them. He says, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desire. You know, Jesus knows them. He, he, he knows their hearts, and, and he knows that they, they desire to kill him. How many of us, if, if Jesus were here, would we want Jesus to know everything that, that is in our hearts? No, but Jesus does know. He knows us, and he knows us intimately. But 
when, when you read these verses in the context, this, this rebuke was to those who, who believed that they were the, the people of God. But we shouldn't think that, that they were the only ones who have, have ever hated Jesus. There are plenty of people throughout history and, and even today in this world that hate Jesus. And people might, may not say that. I, I don't know too many people say, I hate Jesus. But it's by their actions and, and, and by their words that you see that, that they do hate him. Even the Jews didn't say that they hated him. You know, they, they weren't, but they weren't just indifferent to him. They weren't just apathetic toward him. No, they did hate him. And, and sometimes, especially in the United States, we find it hard to believe that, that people would hate Jesus. Most non-Christians in this country will say, you know, oh yeah, Jesus was a, a good guy. He was a good person. We, we even have a, ho- a major holiday named after him called Christmas. We have songs that we sing every year about him. They're played throughout the malls. We have houses that are, are decorated with manger scenes commemorating his birth. But the truth is, I think that there, there are so many people that have a fond view of Jesus because their view of Jesus has been sanitized. They don't really know the true Jesus of the Bible. They like to read certain things that Jesus may have said. They, they focus on those things that, that Jesus was encouraging, but they don't want to talk about Jesus being the judge or G, Jesus coming back in, in glory to judge the earth. But the truth is that the reason that is Jesus is so liked in this company is because he's, he has been sanitized. I mean, I was actually looking at somebody else's sermon, and, and he, he used this illustration. I didn't plan on using it, but he said he, he, he Googled Jesus toys. And so I thought, let me Google Jesus toys. And there's this six-foot-tall plush Jesus toy. I mean, you think that, that Jesus was just some kind of stuffed animal, that, that he was there to, to comfort you and to, to encourage you. And there's all kinds of things out there like that. And, and it's just so hard to, to see how, how people have this wrong view of Jesus. I mean, I was talking to my daughter-in-law this week, and she was interacting with a friend, and this friend uh, had grown up in the church with her, and, and you know, they were just a, just a few years ago on the same page, and now she's gone away to college. And she's come back, and, and she's, she's speaking about Christ in a way that is that is not true and not right. And, and, and I was asking her, well, what college did she go to? And I, I don't remember, but it was a Christian college. And they, they deny that the Bible speaks about things like homosexuality. They deny that Jesus would, would judge anyone. No, Jesus is, is the judge, and He will judge so I wonder if people really knew the real Jesus, if he, if he were here today, that they, they, they would say that they, they love him as they do. You know, so many people today will say things like, you know, I, I, I hate the church, or I, I hate the Bible, or I hate re- religion, but in fact, what they really mean is, I hate Jesus. You know, I heard that it was said by Mahatma Gandhi, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. 
Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And that could be an indictment on us, couldn't it be? But I don't necessarily think it is. No, he says, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And it may be true that we are not like Christ. I agree. I am not like Christ. I'm so far from being like Christ, but I desire to be like Christ. And I know that the truth is, is that, that Christ loves his church. He loves his people enough to, that he would die for his people. And so when I think about somebody like, like Gandhi, what, one of the things I, I think is that he didn't really know the Jesus of the Bible. For all I know, you know, and, and this, is, this is a sad state, I have no clue of whether Gandhi came to have faith in Christ. In fact, I doubt it. I doubt it. And because he never put his faith in Christ, he rejected, he rejected the teachings of Christ. And that, that is the truth. And that's, it, that's much like these religious leaders. And so people may not say that, that they hate Jesus, but what they do say is that, you know, you know I'm, not, I'm not into church, I'm not into doctrine, I, I'm not into organized religion, but maybe what they're saying is I'm not really in, into Jesus. Because Jesus is into, into church. Because Jesus is into doctrine. Jesus is, is into organized religion. You know, as we continue back in John chapter 8, what we see is this, this hatred escalating. And they're outraged that Jesus would call them children of the, of the devil. And often when there is anger, what, what happens is when, when we're confronted well, what do we do? We want to lash out. We want to attack. And, and so what they do is they slander and they insult him. And that brings us to our first point, the slander of Christ's character. And we see that in verse 48. They, it says this, it says, they said to him, do we right, not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And it isn't just the people that, you know, people, when they're confronted with these things, they're exposed. And, and when people are confronted, what they want to do is often they, in their natural state, they want, to, they want to lash out and they really show who they are. And these religious leaders, they, they have this facade and it's of being religious and, and righteous people, but under pressure, what they do is they, they lash out and, and, and it seems somewhat a natural reaction to attack the Lord, but it's, it's really satanic. And notice that they, they don't address his argument. They don't deal with him in a, in a reasonable way. They, they just mock him. Rather than being exposed to the light, what should we do when we're exposed to the light? We should, we should come to Christ and say, show me. I mean, Lord, show me any wicked way in me. But what they do is they, they reject him. And this exposure to him Make, makes their hearts and, and their pride grow to where all they can do, they, they have no answer to what he's saying. And so what they do is they, they just lash out. That's the first insult. They, they call him a Samaritan. And I think, what, what is so bad about being a Samaritan? Well, back, back in... <laughs> Cyril knows what it's like. <laughs> Early, you're, you're showing something here. <laughs> you know, back in John chapter 4, 
we read about Jesus' interaction with the Samaritans. And the Samaritans, you know, were related to the, to the Jewish people, and they were part of the northern kingdom. And the Assyrians eventually came in, and they, and they destroyed the northern kingdom, and, and they left behind some people. And, and what those people, the, the Samaritans, they intermarried with, with the pagans who had come in. And so when, when the, the Jews were taken into captivity into Babylon, there was this separation. There was these intermingled Samaritans, and then there was the Jews in Babylon. In Babylon. And when they came back, the Samaritans said, we worship the same God as you. You see this in Ezra chapter 4. They, we worship the same God of you. We know that you want to rebuild the temple. We, we want to rebuild the temple with you. And the Jews said, no, we don't want your help. And ever since that time, they, ever since the Jews refused, there's been this conflict in, that, that, that is intensifying and intensifying to where there's, there's now this hatred for the Samaritans. And, and for a Jew to call another Jew a Samaritan was a degrading put-down. It was both a racial and a religious slur. The Jews despised Samaritans, whom they considered half-breeds and heretics, because they didn't, they didn't hold the, the, old, the whole Old Testament. No, they, they considered them half-breeds and, and heretics. And the, the, the Jews would often walk miles out of their way to travel around Samaria to get to Galilee just so they wouldn't get the Samaritan dust on their feet. That's how much the, the hatred was there. But, but we saw in, in John chapter 4 something that is so amazing about, about Christ that, that He challenges all of those racial barriers when He revealed Himself as the Messiah to the, to the Samaritan woman. And notice... In Luke chapter 10, Jesus uses what? The, the Samaritan as the example of what it would mean to be a good neighbor. So Jesus is using these, these stories and these interactions as a, as a means to say, no, it's, it's not about whether you are a Jew or a Samaritan. It's about worshiping in, in spirit and truth. And by, by these Jews calling Jesus a Samaritan, they're, they're slandering him on, on many levels. They, they're calling him a false teacher. They're calling him a, a traitor. They're calling him a, an enemy of God. And such was their blindness and in their anger and their, their hatred towards the Lord. And notice also in, in, in verse 48, it says, Are we not right in saying? Are we not right in saying? It's as if they've been saying this over and over again. It's not something that they, they just decided to say right then. It's something that they've probably been spreading about Jesus, that, that he, he, he's definitely a heretic. He, he's a traitor. He, he's a Samaritan. He, he, he's possessed by a demon. You know, and if being a Samaritan wasn't enough, they have the second charge that he has a demon that he's, that he's possessed. I mean, think about it. You're, you're talking to the, the Son of God, and you use this as a slanderous statement against, against Him. But this isn't the first time. Mark 3.22, they say about Him, they say, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons, He cast out demons. What they're doing is they're ascribing Jesus' work to Satan, 
And now what they're doing in, in John chapter 8 is they're ascribing his, his words to Satan. In John chapter 7, verse 20, the crowd said this, you have a demon who is, who is seeking to kill you. Or later in John's gospel, in, in John chapter 10, it says, many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? No, to, to, to call our, our glorious Lord and Savior demon-possessed is, is appalling. It's horrible. To say that he's insane is, is appalling, and it shows that, that their nature is totally depraved and they're totally blind. And so it is a terrible thing that they do, a, a slanderous personal attack, and they expose themselves for who they really are. You have to understand that, that to dishonor Jesus is a, a serious matter. In John chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, Jesus says this, for, for the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Stephen Cole said this, to dishonor Jesus is to dishonor the eternal sovereign of the universe. It is to, to dishonor the one before whom you will stand one day for eternal judgment. If you're going to court on a charge for which you may be executed, it's not wise to spit in the judge's face, but that's what the person who dishonors Jesus is doing. People don't realize it, do they? They don't realize it. But Jesus, but Jesus handles himself, and he, he is so unlike them. He handles himself in, in such a, an amazing way. He doesn't lower them, himself to their level. Peter will say this about Jesus in 1 Peter 2, 23. He says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. No, Jesus calmly response to their, their slanderous charge in verse 49 by saying this, I do not have a demon. You have a, you have a demon? No. I, I, I don't have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. I was talking to a, a friend of mine recently, and I've been sharing the gospel with this person for a while. I, I care about them, them deeply, and and they have been part of a 12-step program for a while, and, and I think they've been sober for six years, and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that. But they can't commit to Jesus. They just can't commit to Jesus. They, they, they haven't committed to Jesus. And so just, just a week or so ago, I was talking to them, and, and they said to me, oh, you know, we have these prayers that we memorize, and in AA, in this one prayer, I, I memorized, do you want to hear it? And I said, sure. And she went on to, to recite this prayer that she had memorized. And, and several times, I, I don't remember the whole prayer, but several times it says, God, I honor you. God, I honor you. God, I honor you. And I said, do you do that? And she's was struck by me saying that. She says, what, what do you mean? 
Well, the Bible says you have to honor the Son in order to honor God the Father. You don't honor the Son. You won't honor the Son. And her, her, her statement, well, I just have so many questions. That's not the issue. Do you want the answers? Because you can have a lot of questions. But are those questions just excuses to saying, Jesus, I want you? No. Do you want the answers to those questions? No, Jesus, Jesus says back in, in verse 42, he says, Jesus said to them, if, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here, and I came not of my own accord, but, but he sent me. No, if, if, you're gonna, if God were your father, if you're going to honor God, you're going to love Christ. You know, it's only those who honor the Son who, who honor the Father. And unlike these Jews who exalted themselves, Jesus did not seek his own glory. He didn't seek to be exalted, but he humbled himself. Look, look at verse 50. He says, yet, do not, yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Now, Jesus didn't come to, to seek his own glory. He, he did what? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to bear the sins of many. He came to save his people from their sins. But there is one who, who does seek his glory, and that's the Father. He seeks to glorify the Son, and we see this at his baptism and, and his transfiguration when, when the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we see that because of the Son's obedience by becoming humble to the point of death, even death on a cross, Paul says in Philippians 2, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. No, Jesus did not come to glorify himself. He, he came to humble himself to the point of death, even, even death on a cross and we see this in Psalm 2. It speaks of the Messiah's triumph. It says, you, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Now, Christ has been exalted, but he did not exalt himself. Now, and we know that there are those today that, that choose to dishonor the Lord. They choose to mock the Lord as these men did. They choose to denounce him they, and to, to dismiss him, to reject him and to hate him. And they seem to do the very things that these Jews are doing. And those, but another thing that they do is they reject us as Christians. They reject us because we are, we are his. And when we speak the truth in love, they want to reject us. And they expose themselves in their, their anger and their hate and, and Sadly, on that day, if they don't come to repentance, on that day of judgment, all these words that they have spoken against not only the Lord, but, but against His people will, will come back and will be called to account. And I think the application of, of that is this, that it encourages us, and Kenny really hit on this last week, it, it encourages us, remember that he, when He was reviled, He did not revile in return. Brothers and sisters, people are going to hate us. They do hate us. They do so because they hate Jesus. 
And our charge is this, that to remember that vengeance is mine, says, says the Lord, that he will repay. And that we can, we can turn the other cheek as he, he commands us to do, and, and we can leave it to him because every knee will bow before him. And every tongue will confess that, that he is Lord of the glory of God the Father. And their slander, all their slander will be dealt with. And even though they mock Jesus, Jesus responds. And look what he responds with. He, he responds with an invitation. This brings us to our second point, the certainty of Christ's salvation. He responds with an invitation in verse 51. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Truly, truly, that, that's amen, amen. That's, this is a true statement. I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. In the face of this intense opposition, the Lord offers the gospel to them. It's a great promise to, to those who he's speaking to and all who would hear him that you know, if you keep his word, he, you will, will never see death. But there's a condition there, isn't it? It's that keeping of, keeping of his word. It's not just easy believism, like, oh, I, I made a profession of faith at one time. No, it's walking in his word. It's understanding its word. It's growing in its, his word. It's obeying his word. No, there's... A certain measure, and I, Jeff, I think, mentioned this out of, out of Titus, that, that when we put our faith and trust in Christ, that Christ does a work in us, and we're, we're changed people. Parallel passage is John chapter 5, verse 24. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. There's a new life, a, a new creation. You know, I was talking to my community group last Wednesday, and, and this just came to, to my mind that evening as we were talking, and it was before I was a Christian, I was probably 18 years old, and I went to the Dalama Mall, and I went to B. Dalton Bookseller to buy a Bible. 18 years old, not a Christian, that my community group asked me, why, why did you do that? I said, I don't know. But I went to B. Dalton Bookseller, and I bought a, a Bible, and I had it in the bag, and I was walking down the mall, and these girls from, from school were walking the other direction, and I started to sweat. They're going to ask me what's in the bag, aren't they? And they did. <laughs> they asked me what was in the bag, and, you know, it's like, a, a Bible? You can see the look on their faces. They were wondering, why'd you do that? <laughs> but interestingly, I had this Bible at home and, and sitting on my nightstand. I, you know, I had moved out. I had roommates, and I was anything but a Christian. And I had this Bible sitting, sitting next to my bed. And it's like, why? Why? I, I, I don't know. I don't know why. Obviously, in God's sovereignty, I'm glad I had it. And I would, I would read it now and then, and but I wasn't a Christian. Just because I had a Bible sitting on my nightstand didn't make me a Christian. As I said, my life was far from anything that resembled being a Christian. 
And it wasn't until during the preaching of the gospel some years later that, that I made a, a commitment to, to follow Christ. And at that time, I, you know, I remembered my life just being completely changed. All those passions that I had before I was a Christian were gone. I had completely new passions, new affections. And that's what happens when we, we come to faith in Christ. We, we turn from these things. We turn from sin. We renounce sin. No, and we seek Him and we seek the deliverance that is only because of what He has done on a cross. You know, it's not about us performing to attain some salvation from the Lord. No, it's about what He has done, that He has sacrificed Himself. And by faith in Him, He gives us new life. And that's a, that's a, a beautiful promise He gives. He will never see death never see death. Clearly, that does not mean physical death. I mean, Jesus died physically. The apostles all died physically. Every person up to this point has died physically. So, what he's talking about here is, is really the second death. He's talking about e- eternal judgment. As I mentioned, that that John chapter 5, verse 24 passage, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. But then Jesus is clarifying that. What is, what is this eternal life? He does not come into judgment. But he passes not from life to death, but from death to life. So yes, we, might, we may die physically, but we have to understand that that death is, is a separation. First, when we die physically, what our souls are, are separated from us, our bodies. But when we die outside of Christ, then there's a separation from us and God. You know, we have to understand that, that this is why this, this promise, it's, it's so beautiful for all those who are in Him. Although, all those who have believed in Him, because apart from His atoning death, we would all experience eternal separation from God. We would all experience divine judgment. We would all experience hell. Ezekiel 18.4 says, the soul that sins shall die. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But it doesn't stop there, does it? No, Jesus gives us hope. There's, there's this separation from God due to, to the consequence of sin. But what did the Lord do? He, he went to the cross and He died for our sins. And He, he experienced the, the wrath that was due us on our behalf and all that agony that Jesus suffered. What it does is it brings us to a place where we don't have to fear any longer if we are in Christ. That is a great hope, that we don't have to fear. And Paul will say this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death has been conquered by Christ. Because of this, you know, we should view physical death completely different from the unbeliever. 
because the grave no longer holds that, that same terror of judgment that it once had. Now, recently, I spent a little time at Rosemary Knees before she passed, and there was just a peace with her. She knew, she knew that she was going to die. She didn't want to go through all the dialysis and everything that she needed. She was ready. She was ready, and I was just reminded of my, my mom's passing. You know, I remember that time that there was, she was suffering, and, and we knew that it was, it was coming, and I remember just holding her in my arms, and she was holding on and just saying, Mom, it's okay. You, know, you, can, you, you can go now. And it's interesting how she, she just gave her last breath because there was a peace. And I was reading John MacArthur, and he had this illustration that I thought was good. And he was talking to a woman who was on her deathbed, and, but he was talking about surgery. And I, I had back surgery some eight years ago. And, and what he said was my experience too, that, you know, when I went in for that surgery, I was, you know, on the gurney and they're, they're rolling you in and you're, there's a little fear and a, you know, apprehension of what's going to happen. And, you know, they, they put something in your arm and they give you anesthesia. And what happens is that you kind of fade. There's like a sense of peace first that kind of comes over you and, and you, you fade and, and all of a sudden you wake up, <laughs> and it's over. And I thought that was a, a great illustration of what it is for the believer to go through. We have nothing to fear. It's just the passing from one side to the next. You know, you just, you know, there may be, there may be pain during the dying process, but for the believer, that that death is an entrance in, into glory. No, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To, to live is Christ. To die is gain. And so Jesus declares to them the gospel, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And how do they respond? Some more slander. Some more slander. It brings us to our third point, the question of Christ's superiority. Verse 52, the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Again, just because he preached the gospel to them. We know you have a demon. Abraham died. You're not going to die? Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. And then the questions, there's two questions here. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Are you greater than our father Abraham? And I'm just going to say a few words to this because next week we're going to really look at Jesus' answer to these questions. Just a few words. First, the first question is this, are you greater than our father Abraham? What answer does that question expect from them? No. 
No, it's a, it's a, a no answer. But the irony is that we who are reading this and are, are believers, we know the answer is what? Yes. He is greater. He's so much greater. In fact, he's the one that called Abraham to go. He's the one that met Abraham in Genesis 18. No, he is greater. And he's the one that the prophets spoke about. He is greater. But the second question is this. Who do you make yourself out to be? Listen to that question again. Who do you make yourself out Jesus, you're exalting yourself, aren't you? No, that's the second question. Don Carson says this. He says, they completely, this completely misses the central points Jesus and the gospel have been making. Jesus does not make himself or exalt himself to be anything. Far from it. He is the most humble and obedient and dependent of men, uniquely submissive to the Father. Who do you make yourself out? He doesn't make himself out to be anything. He is the eternal God. He is glorious. No, they, they, they question Christ's superiority, and the answer to these questions, uh, as I said, are going to be dealt with next week. But remember back in, in verse 25, it says, So they said to him, Who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. He hasn't held, hid anything from them. He has told them that he is the Son of God. He has told them that he is the bread of life. He has told them that the Scriptures bear witness of him. He has told them that he is the light of the world. He has told them, if you abide in my word, you are, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So when they ask, Jesus, are, are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Of course the answer is yes. And Jesus is greater than all. I want to just finish with a... This is from a sermon by Tim Keller, and it's, it's this. It's Jesus is true and better. Just listen to this. Jesus is true and better. He says this. Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel who, though innocently slain, has blood now that cries out, not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the, all the comfortable and familiar and go into a void, not knowing whither he went, to create a new people of God. Jesus is the true and better Isaac, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us. And when God said to Abraham, now I know that you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love for me. Now we can look at God taking his son up on the mountain and sacrificing him and say, now we know that you love us because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love from us. Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserved so that we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace to wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. 
Jesus, the true and better Moses, who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus, the true and better rock of Moses, who struck with the rod of God's justice, now gives us water in the desert. Jesus, the true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer, who then intercedes for and saves his stupid friends. Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't just risk leaving an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate and heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. Jesus is the, rock, is the real rock of Moses, the real Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless slain, so that, the, so that the angel of death will pass over us. He is the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, and the true bread. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is greater. He's greater than all. There's none like him. And it's because of him we, we can worship him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have sent your son to be the savior of the world. And that by keeping your word, we can never see death. That we can pass from from death to life. God, we thank you for your grace towards us. And we thank you for your grace in your church, Lord, that that we as your people would learn to love and honor you as you deserve. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.